Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of The Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass at theoryofdfs.com. This week, uh, we, 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 don't, we don't got Eric. We don't got Eric today. He's working on some best ball stuff, but uh, I think this guy's also probably working on a bunch of stuff now that it's uh, July. Uh, newly now full-time at uh, NBC Sports Edge, formerly known as Roto World. Uh, Kyle Dvorak. Kyle tweets here on Twitter. I, I want. I want to say uh, I, I'm bringing you on because uh, if we if we had to, if I if I wanted if I had the sound effect or whatever previously on right the previously <laughs> on type of thing for like TV shows. The last time you were on the show, uh, we talked a lot about overlay hunting. Like you you had this this mission that you chose to accept of uh, that you would play like any sport or any slate as long as uh, there was overlay and like satellites and qualifiers. And uh, I wanted to, I wanted to bring you back on cause you, 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 you eventually finished that or you could have continued. I just think probably you got sick of it. Uh, did, did, was the overlay hunting uh, challenge successful? Uh, I mean, I guess the answer to that is yes. Like, it definitely, like, uh, like, so I guess having one win account for, like, more than the entirety, like, I've only come down since one win doesn't make it feel that way. That's literally how playing tournaments is. Like, you have to get out of that mindset of, like, all right, so I won, you know, I so I qualified for the NHL live final. So I qualify for that. Oh, so win, you went like, to the, yeah. li- the live final, or was it an online final? Yes, online live okay, final. Okay, but still, like, a, 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 fi- a final nonetheless. I was like, uh, I don't think it was a live final. But I mean, when you're playing GPPs, you're playing the, you're playing to win first as it is. So I mean, like it's not unheard of that like all your profit comes from like one win or one day or something like that. But the amount that you entered is probably much lower than if you just bought in directly. I mean, were you primarily playing satellites because a lot of times they overlay more than anything else? Uh, yeah, I would say, I guess probably not primarily playing satellites just in terms of the actual money I got down because most, uh, not most, it's probably a decent amount of primarily playing satellites, but then, uh, a decent amount comes down to, uh, like big, you know, the $500, the five, five, five and MLB will actually, that'll be a terrible example. MLB, they, the contests are filled three hours ahead of time or whatever, but you know, in, in soccer, especially that was one, uh, you know, the, the three, three, three on a slide, I don't know anything about soccer, on some random like EPL slate, doesn't fill to a pretty extreme degree. Uh, NHL is the same way. Some random showdown slate with a $300 entry isn't gonna fill. It's like a 20, I don't know, 21 person contest, only 15 people are there two minutes before lock. I'm like, yep, let's, uh, let's fire these. So I'd say probably more of it, I would guess, came from uh, playing, I wouldn't, I don't know if you'd call that like high stakes. I think the high stakes is like, the Thunderdome or the thousand, but like the mid to high stakes, just because you can get a lot of action down at once in there. And then second to that would have been uh, satellites qualifiers. And that's probably where more of the overlay came from. Like you can get a lot of action down in a $300 NHL contest, but you get 1% overlay, which when I say overlay, at least I mean that DraftKings gives you 1% back. Right. When we're not talking about, oh, like there's a difference between overlay and like rake reduction. Yes. Yeah. Like that. I know that you've you've tweeted about it. Like how much how much money is is DraftKings giving you? And I'm assuming you did this all on DraftKings and not on FanDuel. 
Uh, yeah, it would have been, I think it would have been a little difficult to do it on two sites at once because I'm literally just firing at the, I mean, some some of them you can tell they're going to overlay a few, I mean, sometimes hours before, but mostly like 20, 30 minutes before. But a lot of it, I'm like firing 10 seconds left. I'm like trying to just like mash my phone, trying to get in at the end. Um, I'll tell you exactly how much I got. I just, uh, I have to like, I can't use um, whatever the uh, roto tracker is because they don't track like certain, like I don't think they track rake on there, which is the whole point of what I, I wanted to do. So I have to download my own CSV and do it. I, let me see here. As of yesterday, uh, before the NBA games, because I had a bunch of, they were giving away tickets to that uh, million dollar first NBA contest, which ended up being 11,000 at first, like crazy. So as of yesterday afternoon, I got down, it looks like $85,000, which is like way, way more than I would have ever, as more than I've like probably three or four times more than I played in the rest of my life, at least. So eighty-five thousand uh, over the course of how many? We're talking about months. Uh, March first, March, April, May, June. Yeah, four months, I guess. Uh, yeah, probably almost four months to the day. It was probably like the first week of March, and it was three point five seven percent overlay, like giving it back to me. Okay, so in the t okay, so, so just to make that clear. Out of $85,000 that you put in for entry mm -hmm. fees, that technically you were, you were actually getting 3%, 3.5% of your, of your money back. So you weren't not like, typically you'd put in 85, like if I did the math on an average, obviously in the higher stakes, you're going to be playing, paying less rake. If you're paying like, you know, the 555, 333, yep. whatever type of thing. But let's just say your effective rake was... 10%. Is that, is that a good overall across set? Like if, if all those contests filled, it would have been around 10%. Um, total, 12. Yeah. I mean, 10, 11, 12, 10. I mean, okay. Yeah. Let's just say, 11. let's cut it yeah. in the middle. So 85,000 times 0.11 would mean that 9350 out of that would have been rake. Right. So yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Right. So, so, you essentially got in if you took in eighty five thousand minus ninety three fifty seventy five thousand six hundred and fifty dollars of equity, right? Because obviously ninety three fifty if 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 the full rake was paid, you would have gotten seventy five thousand six hundred and fifty dollars worth of equity. Yes, yeah. you put in eighty five thousand, but also on top of that, you got back three point five percent. So really, you had. That's an extra 29.75 if we just average it out. So mm -hmm. we add 29.75 to that. That's 80, $87,975. That's 88000 So basically you got $88,000 worth of equity for what, if it filled, would have only been $75,000 worth of equity. Yes, exactly. That's the best way to compare it. One... So essentially, the, the 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 range between that is like you gained thirteen thousand dollars out of nowhere. Yes, uh, yeah, that is the exact math, and I'll even tell you exactly how much I made. Uh, well, I guess I had a decent night last night, so it would have been as of today. It looks like about seven thousand, I think. Uh, but uh, to be fair, a decent amount of that is just sitting in tickets, which that is one of the things that has been really difficult. As we talked about it last time. Uh, is it the money printing machine where if you just enter mediocre lineups, but you're getting 4% back? Um, the answer to that is probably no. That like 
imagine in all in a world where everyone just like turns randomness up and enters a line. So you get this like nice bell curve distribution and there's no rake, you're flipping coins. It wouldn't matter. The first person in that bell curve who decides to employ some sort of strategy, stacking, leverage, et cetera, at that point, if you are not doing that, you are losing money. You're flipping coins at a 49.999, you know, if it's a large tournament, and that one person has a tiny, tiny edge. And I think there are far more people in tournaments today who are employing good strategy than are entering deadlines. You're still getting a lot of, you're probably not winning first, but it could happen. There's not, you know, uh, playing injured players anymore. You're getting more people playing strategy. So assuming I have, a, you know, like 3.37, oh, not 3.57, but uh, assuming I have, you know, 3.37 rake that I'm getting back or not rake that I'm getting back overlay that I'm getting paid, I still don't think that's enough to actually be a profitable player in this. Because pro- so- when, when you mean a, prof- a profitable player playing a rant, playing a very a base level with applying no strategy. Yep, and, and just, you know, entering even a tiny bit of strategy, like, you know, avoiding some dupes or trying to not play the number one optimal lineup just so you don't get duped or saying, you know, an MLB, I'm not going to completely unstack if it's a tournament. Like, I am going to set the optimizer to force me stacks, which is Is, is that easy. what Is that what you were doing? I mean, because you're playing a lot. It's like you said, you're playing soccer, you're playing NHL, you're playing random showdown slates. Like, you're just, are you just finding the overlay and then, like, you know, you're going to... Your 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 latest your local content projections mm-hmm. place and just go give me something competitive like you're essentially saying yep. give me something competitive maybe it's not like if it's baseball like you know that you probably should stack but you like, like you did no research you have no context of the slate whatsoever you're just like 100%. give me the best five three lineup you could find like just give me the yeah. like I have three minutes just give me the best five three in like basketball showdown or something. You're just like, well, you know, uh, give me a lineup under X amount of ownership and then just whatever it is, it is, right? Because you know that in like showdown, you'd, you know, you don't play like the cash lineup or anything in a GPP. And in soccer, you're probably like, just give me a lineup that doesn't have any attackers against my goalkeeper. And like, yep. like whatever it is, you're just trusting like the projection source and you're relying on the fact that since you're averaging getting back 3.5% over the course that you're having, you're, you're hoping to get an average lineup. But what you're saying is that, that although the average lineup using just an overlay hunting methodology, uh, does give you back money. You can even see in the, in the numbers, I know we're dealing with still small sample sizes, even though we're talking about three or four months. If we say, if we said before that you, you got $88,000 worth of equity, that would have normally cost at full seventy five thousand. That's a thirteen thousand dollar difference. You only profited seven thousand dollars. So technically, based on your the extra the equity that you did get, you lost six thousand dollars. Like if this was if this if you if this was filled at full, you you would have lost you would have you would have been a six thousand dollar loser. Yeah, right. probably. Yeah, yeah. Based on that math and based on my experience, absolutely. Like I was like scraping by, um, scraping by with a massive edge in terms of my edge versus the rig's negative edge that it gives you. Absolutely, definitely would not have been a profitable player playing these, uh, you know, if they were fully raked. Right. So, but I mean, but the the whole point of the I think the more po- the point of the experiment was the fact that you weren't playing any type of mm-hmm. strategy. 
Now, obviously, yeah. if you are, now, most likely, I mean, it, if you're profitable in the current rank structure, all that does is just give you more money. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And uh, I think like that was, so I think I was maybe a month or so ago, I, you know, tweeted out or DM'd you. I was pretty much done with it. I've still played a ton since then, but I have uh, started to incorporate more strategy into it as opposed to just chasing. And uh, or I mean, I playing think... sports that, you know, probably, I mean, like, <laughs> like, I, I, I know like you DM me, I mean, it must, it, you have to like devote like your entire day to it. I mean, like you, you were just like, I got to check every slate at every time and see what, I mean, not everyone, but it, it all comes down to when lock, it, you, you can't schedule your own life because you don't know where the overlay is going to come from. You mm-hmm. you don't know if the soccer slate's going to fill. You don't know if this NHL slate's going to fill. You don't know if NASCAR secondary contest or <laughs> or MMA secondary, like, like all, I mean, most likely the, the major sports fill. I mean, like you probably weren't, I mean, how much MLB were you playing? almost not. I actually got, you know, every once in a while for whatever reason, like it's probably just like complete randomness that some sporting event, other sporting event was on. There was some like, you know, Six Flags was doing a countrywide sale. So all the dads were going to Six Flags, but no, MLB filled all the time. I thought, so when I was playing just NHL and NBA, I was getting decent action down and I was like, we're going to get MLB and I'm going to be firing on all cylinders and MLB feels so early. It's uh, like, yeah, this they, is they've not. Been, sh- they've been they've been limiting the con because the NBA playoffs are going on. I mean, yeah. all the MLB DFS players were saying for two months, like, why do the contests look like shit. Like now, now they're stepping up, but now it because the finals and now we have days where there's no NBA, right? So now they're now they're putting in some effort. So I mean, may, maybe you'll get more more overlay possibilities now, uh, especially in stuff like the late slates and the showdown slates. But I mean, the, the main stuff, like, like you're not doing this for NFL, like NFL doesn't overlay. I've never looked into it. I, I, I uh, it's possible though. Like NBA overlaid a lot just because, uh, they had so, like, they were releasing contests. They still are like, like up until the very last second, like you're getting these like $10, 23-mans that come out minutes before. Oh, but those, are, also, those are cash games. These aren't like the tournaments. I mean, you get the the twenty three man tournaments. You know, the first seven or whatever probably get paid out. But I mean, yeah, there's not a ton of action. But they had a ton of um, NBA had a ton of satellites slash qualifiers. I don't really know what the difference is. Uh, they had so many of them, and even if they're just like you know the the ten cent ones, the twenty five cent, a dollar, five dollars. I'm you know the fifteen or twenty. They gave out so many of those, and those never fill. So there's not really good action in. Uh, you know, just standard tournaments or um, cash games. But there is like, seriously, every night, a few hundred maybe dollars, especially on full NBA slates where you get the, you know, the tiers, the the showdowns, the turbo slates, all of those things. They just give away so many satellite, you know, so many tickets that no one wants to play. Like, it's mostly understandable. Like, imagine being like just your average Joe Schmo, like playing NBA lineups and you see they have a satellite to a tennis contest. If you're not entering that. So that's where a decent amount of that's where all of the action that wasn't like high stakes came from was mostly like NBA and NHL uh, like satellites basically satellites into into niche sports. Uh, some of them, I mean, they gave away a ton of satellites to uh, the NBA contest last night, but uh, I mean, some of it is niche sports. A decent amount of it is like satellites to soccer contest, uh, but it's not all. It's not all of that. They give. Uh, Satellites, like whatever, just like once a month, uh, you know, the MLB will have a big contest. Like they have a 
$2,500 contest in August that they're giving away tickets for, and those aren't filling. So I, I picked up one of those last night. But yeah, and, and the thing is, if you, so let's say like, uh, you know, I won the NHL live final ticket. It was so, I got, I mean, I got super lucky. But say live final, it's an online final. You didn't go anywhere. What happened live? I experienced well, it yeah, live. Everything, just, everything is live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the online final, uh, you know, it was super cheap to get the, the ticket just because I lucked into it. It didn't cost me a lot. Uh, they were overlaying, so I got a bunch of bullets and I, I hit one. But then you can't, once you get that, once you get that ticket to actually make a, a good profit on it, I really think that's where this strategy falls apart is you have to employ a serious amount of strategy to be even competitive in a live final because you're just playing against like, you know, Osmo, Brick, whoever. You're just going to get dusted by them if you just show up like, well, I'm going to, if it's a, you know, the MLB live final, I'm going to get a five whatever stack and then just throw it in. They're all going to run laps around you because they have like, they're all playing, I'm not saying perfect strategy, but they're all attempting to play close to perfect strategy. So you can employ uh, just like, I'm going to not dupe in the NBA showdowns and try and pick up a bunch of tickets. But once you acquire those tickets, those tickets are going to be contests that are fully raked and have a ton of people actually trying for them. Uh, so I think at that point, this strategy kind of breaks down to where you still have to employ real uh, excessive strategy to make the most of the tickets you acquire. Right. So it just means that maybe going overlay the ticket satellite overlays aren't as valuable as, you know, when the, the, the smaller field, higher stakes. Because you saw in soccer, I mean, dude, I, I played in some of those contests, right? You'd see on the, for the Euros this this past month that sometimes, like, like they'll have, they'll run 120 man, 333 or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's it's five minutes to lock and it's, like, 78 out of 120, right? Like, and, and, it, and it go, and it, it, it fills at, like, like 90, out of 120, but that's, that's still overlay, right? I mean, that's, the, you're, you're, uh, you look and you see your green number is higher than the number that you put in, but still at the end of the day, you have to realize you're like, there's a balance there between hunting for overlay and then being able to like the first thing that you have to get, that you have to beat when you play DFS for a living is the rake. Right, because it's not just being better than your opponents; it's being better than your opponents plus the rake, right? So, like in a head-to-head -head that's being raked, it's nine percent. If your edge is like, "Oh, I'm better than this guy by seven percent," mm -hmm. you're still losing. You're still losing, right? You have to be and better. Being, right, being better be than seven percent is also a really good advantage to have in a head-to-head. -head. Like that would be a one of the better advantages you can have. So you have to be like. Your opponent is going to have maybe a small deficit to you. The rake has a, an incredible advantage. If it's a fifteen percent rake, that is a, a, an incredible. Well, not in head to heads. Head to heads, you're still getting you're getting like nine percent. Yeah, if, if you look at fifteen percent in head to heads, no one would play. I mean, it would be ridiculous. Yeah, but like uh, you know, even in tournaments, you have to have you know you have to have the edge over your opponents, but then you have to have that plus the rake of 12, 11, 10, 15 in the giant, you know, the giant three dollar, a uh, hundred thousand to first, whatever types of contests. Yeah, so there is, um, yeah, I think that's kind of just what this, uh, I don't want to say taught me, but just really reinforced that, like, you, with a three point, whatever, 3.37% edge, my opponents still have an edge over me just playing, firing blindly without employing any strategy. Now, I have scaled that 
back, I've played, I don't know if I've played quite less, but I've just targeted more. Like, uh, I got I got into Counter-Strike and just, like, enjoy watching it. It's on at a perfect time of day for me, like, right before I go into my work shift or during my work shift. So I actually, like, uh, employ a decent amount of strategy in those lineups, and they've been incredibly profitable. With soccer, I don't know anything about soccer, and when I played, like, the high-stakes contest, I got just obliterated, gave uh, gave a ton of money that I had made from the NHL final back, and I was like, nope, can't uh, can't be playing these without knowing anything about them, even if there is a 3% rake back. Uh, you know, the high-stakes soccer uh, lobby is really difficult to beat, especially when you know nothing about soccer and aren't really trying that hard. So how much did you win from the NHL final? Um, I think 12K, maybe 10K. It's one of the two. I either got 10th for 12K or 12th for 10K. It was one okay. of them. But, I mean, how much, how much did you invest in satellites and qualifiers that overlaid into into that into that that specific tournament. That one was like five hundred dollars. Okay, but that's but that's that's good though, right? No, uh, no, I'm saying like that one is uh, that is the the run goodest of the run good. It was like a handful that you know the four dollar two entries, seventy people, and then that one gets a two hundred fifty dollar ticket into another contest of seventy people, and then that one gets you to the live final. Oh, so I you were able to you were able to piggyback on that? Yeah, yeah. Rode rode the ladder up two different times. Uh, yeah, no, that one I'm laughing because that was um, way, 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 way above expectation uh, on that. But so, still, you but were playing those contests because they were overlaid. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't have played them otherwise. So. Right, you, you you wouldn't be playing hockey contests at all. Yeah, I, that's another one too, though. I did get into hockey after doing this and try to employ more strategy. Uh, after the fact, after playing for the first two or three months. But at first, no, I wasn't employing any sort of well, strategy. I mean, I, you must have, I mean, even just using projection, you must have just chose two lines and just ran whatever. Yep, pretty much. I mean, but that is a strategy. You, you make it sound like that isn't a strategy. I mean, we, we talk it's, about... It's, yeah. We talk about MLB, especially. I mean, we could talk about NFL also. That when... Using this word strategy just means some type of game theory concept mm -hmm. that implies we I, what I call the three levers, projection, correlation, and leverage, the two to three kind of main facets. Uh, many people just use the one, projection. And even if they don't have a projection model, they're doing it in the Well, who's going to do well, right? Like mm -hmm. that's the, trying to predict that. But when you say strategy, it employs the other two elements. Correlation is the easiest, as long as you understand it. Like... In MLB, we still have contests. They're running the $6 knuckleball, whatever, again, on DraftKings. You could download the CSV. You're going to find 20% of the lineups being unstacked messes. That's what I like calling them. Two, is it one, really 20%? One, one, three, one, three, two, what, like not five man stacks, yeah. not four, three ones at least. Just a lot of lineups with minimal correlation. It puts you at a significant disadvantage in comparison to stacked lineups. But because they're in there, that's what makes the contest profitable. So like in NHL even, like just the fact that you're taking what two lines do I want to stack together? And this is me talking about NHL and I don't even play NHL DFS. But I would know that, hey, I'm just going to go to my, my, my I'm going to go to Roto-Grinders projections, right? I'm going to, I work for Roto-Grinders. And if I wanted to put together a competitive lineup because I was getting, you know, overlay and rake back and I needed to put something together in five minutes, I'd essentially tell, I'd say, just give me the, just as long as they're two stacked, two, two lines, 
Just whatever the best lineup is. And maybe, maybe even after that, I go, that is of a certain ownership. And then once I'm doing that, I'm, I'm applying all three levels. That, that, that is the most basic of strategies, but it's still a strategy. And in the contest you're playing, maybe not in the higher stakes. This is the difference yeah. between the higher stakes and the lower stakes. Yeah. Like you mentioned in soccer and all the, the, in any sport that in MLB, like for instance, MLB is going on right now and I'm, I'm playing, I play some of the mid to high stakes, the three figure type contests, but I also play the lottos, right? The, the $6 knuckleball, the 440, you know, on FanDuel, the 40,000 entries and, you know, uh, the top heavy payout structure, uh, the percentage of lineups that have no strategy, like that seemingly, at least seemingly no strategy <laughs> is much, much higher in the large field contests. Cause you get the casual money. You get the, the you get, you even, you even get people that like subscribe to a site and use an optimizer and they just don't, they, I'm going to run 150 lineups uh, that are optimal and not care about anything else. Since like, uh, you got a lot of min cash equity, but not really first place equity. Yeah. Uh, what, what what settings did you use to make those lineups? Right. Kind of, I have calculate right. 150 best lineups. Right. But in the large, so, in the small field stuff, you're playing the 200 man, 300 man, 121, 200, whatever. Like you download that CSV. You're not going to find many, many, if any unstacked met you know, that there's going to be some amount of correlation, most correlation and some amount of leverage, some amount of yeah. consideration of ownership to some extent. Mm-hmm. It's not just, I'm going to take the two highest projected stacks and make a five, three with the two highest uh, projected pitchers. Like there's going to be some deviation there. So when you're hunting for overlay, overlay to me is, is much more valuable in the higher stakes contests than they are in the lower stakes contests. If you understand it's sent overlay is good regardless right? Because you're getting money. If you're going to play that contest anyway, now you're paying either less rake or you're getting money back. But I believe that the edge in large field contests surpasses the rake as it is. Like when people say like, how do you play these 15% rake large field contests that are so top heavy? It's like, well, the strategy for those contests are different than the smaller field GPPs. Like the smaller field GPPs, you don't have to employ much game theory. If you want to, we see plenty of people that are not necessarily math geniuses <laughs> that win and are good at small field GPPs. Conceptually, they get it. They may not be able, they may, they may not be calculating in their head, but they're like, oh, it's a 200 man contest. Uh, I think these guys are the best plays. And instead of playing that guy, I'm going to play that guy instead. Like, okay, that, and, and I'm going to play, since I'm not playing that guy, I'm going to play this guy because they're negatively correlated. It's like, you just employed it straight, like doing that thing that simple in a 200 man contest, like that you're on par with everyone else in a large field contest. Like you can't just do it. You can't just make a cash lineup and make a one V one. Right. So like, you can't just go by that yet. I mean, you have to come in first out of 50,000 entries. So the, the strategies that you employ for that are going to be much more, in, you have to have a, a much better understanding or just run better. Obviously, you could just run. I mean, <laughs> random lineups could win those. Uh, so, if if I said that it, that that what one contest has a fifteen percent rake, the other contest has a ten percent rake, and both contests overlay by one percent, right? Or you, you're paying. Let's say you're paying. You're playing rake free. Let's just say that they're just rake free completely. 
Well, I believe that there's a 20% advantage already in the large field contest. Yep. Right? In the small field contest, the differences between players may only be three to five percent. Like if if ever if if there was no overlay and the rake was let's say six percent, like based on the strength of that contest, it's hard it's hard to it's even hard to beat the six percent because out of three hundred lineups. There, there may not be, I mean, like, maybe you find 10 lineups that are severely negative EV. You just don't find that many. You're you're competing against a lot of sharper players. And the difference between our lineups are going to be 2 or 3% in one or two directs, right? Like, yeah. but it's a 6% rake. So, like, for me to now be able to get overlay on top of that, it's to me, it's more valuable in the higher stakes than in the lower stakes where... I would play those contests with full range. You didn't need, still, it. You didn't need still, it. Right. So, so yes, I'm getting more. But to realize your EV in the large field, is, it takes so much longer. So, like, the advantage so, of getting that rate, like, oh, well, imagine the large field contests only were 75% full. Like, that's massive rake back. That's massive overlay. But you know how many, you know, you know how many times? I mean, this is a, this is a trope amongst uh, MMEers or whatever. There's tons of overlay. I'm going to put, like, today I'm putting in 150 lineups because it's massively overlaying, and then you brick because you still have to realize that you still have to realize it, right? Even though you're paying less for it, you still have to, all the money in those large field contests are so top-heavy that, oh, there's tons of overlay. There's 20% overlay. So you're getting 20% of your money back. But still, if you don't come in the top 20, you're still losing money. Right, so it doesn't even matter. Even even with that money that they're giving you, because all of the equities towards those tops couple of spots in the in the small field contest, it's typically much flatter of a payout. You have to beat less people. So to me, the overlay is much more valuable in the higher stakes smaller field contest than. Would Would you agree? Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, uh, so I guess uh, a tangent I have wanted to ask you about is with the large field contest in general, uh, like, I guess the question would be like, should you even be playing like the NFL play actions, like 500,000 people, $3.20 max. If you play it 20 times in a season, uh, there's, you know, it's technically would be like 18 or whatever. And the, it gets down to like 400,000 by the end of the year. But to make the math neat, we'll say it's 20 weeks, 500,000. You get, you get, uh, yeah, you know, twenty times twenty is four hundred bullets a year at a five hundred per five hundred thousand person contest. That gives you like a point oh oh eight percent chance of winning it, I think, which means that it would take you twelve hundred seasons on average to win it once. If, every, if everything was equal, fortunately, yeah, not everything is equal. But like, if you if your if your edge was ten times that, it would take one hundred twenty seasons. That's like, right. Yes. Is the, so I get yeah. So obviously, like welcome to large that. field GPPs, Kyle. That's what it I is. Guess, I, I know. Like I've played them all, and I have come so close, and and then won, as you would say, a set of steak knives. But when your time horizon extends to three generations, should you even play them? Like, is that an EV that is not worth chasing? No, I go no, back and forth. It's on. it's an EV that is to me not worth having the the bulk of your volume in. Like the to me to me, it's not an issue of do you play it or do you not. Like, for instance, in NFL, I rarely play the Millie Maker. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I don't... Now, sometimes I do because I get satellite tickets or whatever. Or so, whatever. Sometimes the Millie Maker is $10, so I don't mind it as much. But it's but we all know the Millie Maker is the most top-heavy that you could possibly get. I play in NFL the $9 slant, right? 
Two X min cash, 50K to first, flat up top in the top 10. Obviously, I won it last year, but it's a typically somewhere between 60 and 70,000 entries total. But I also play the play, but the, the play action that's $3, 20 max, whatever. But it's only six, I'm, I'm playing $10,000 worth of volume. So, like, to have another 60 bucks in, a, in something that it'll take me uh, three lifetimes in order to realize my EV. It's only a small percentage of what I'm playing. Like if I would just say, I only have 60 bucks, what should I play? <laughs> maybe, maybe you don't. I mean, that's a, that's a dollar in a dream. You could if you want. But if your goal is to, to make money for a living, like even if you had a 10x advantage in those contests, you may never, you could be the greatest player and you could die 14 times without, without winning it. So like, like it doesn't mean that you don't play it. It just means how do you allocate the total volume that you're playing on a slate to what contests. So like I, in NFL, for instance, for GPPs, I'll play one entry into the $100 spy. I'll play one entry into the, there'll be like a 150. Like typically they run two spies, right? There's like a 10, mm -hmm. there's a 20K spy and a 10K spy or something. So I run, line up into both. Uh, and then the power, the, the power sweep typically is three max. A lot of times I then there are two of those with two different payout structures. I'll run one lineup into each. But I usually don't do three, I just do one one of each. I'll the $27 single entry. Uh, there's one lineup. The $33 single entry, because those are still five-figure payouts. Now, am I putting the same lineup into all those cons? No, I'm putting an individual. They're all gonna be different lineups because I wanna have as much shot to win first place in one of my contests. That's I, I want to reduce the variance by not saying all my single entry contests because they're most likely the field size is going to be correlated to the winning score. So like if if I played the same lineup into seven similar contests, it's most likely whatever I place in one, I'm going to place in all of them. Like and that's now all I'm doing is increasing my variance, which is great if you win them all. Yeah, sure, yes. Then I have a screenshot that I won $240,000 because I came in first place in seven different contests. But my goal is to come in first is to reduce my variance. I'm looking to play for a living. So like, I don't need, I don't want all of my lineups to correlate with one another, with one another. So I would play those. And then I would play a hundred lineups into the $9 slant. So that's 900 bucks. Set 60 bucks into the play action. Like it, it's, it's allocated in a way. And then I build the lineups so let's say I'm building 140 lineups in total for a Sunday. Well, I'll build the lineups and I'll build the lineups as if I'm building lineups for the nine. My, my, my focus point is on the $9 slant. So essentially I'm building $9. I'm building lineups that have projection and leverages for a 65,000 entry contest, but I'm taking my highest projected or highest owned one and putting it in the spy. Right, because that uh, what the spy is like uh, three thousand entries, so it's like so I the the vomit stack low projected you know millimaker maker type of like I'm not I'm not gonna play it in the in the spy I'm just gonna, whatever's the highest whatever the highest projected one that I have that is already stacked typically has a run back typically it's a three plus one type of lineup so like like to me it's about how you allocate your volume not whether or not you play like do you play the play action well. If you if you if it's only five percent of your total volume, why not and, and, and win a hundred thousand? Right, the same for the millimaker. Like, should I play the millimaker? Like, what percentage are you comfortable just like 
knowing that this is going to go poof. <laughs> never seeing yet. Right, right. And you're never going to see it again. So that's why sometimes, like, if they're, if they're, if I'm getting tickets or whatever, I'm already building. I, sometimes I have 10 lineups in the Millie Maker. Sometimes I have 20 lineups. Sometimes, you know, I fill up the slant. I fill up whatever. A lot of times it's the same things over and over again. It's harder in the other, in the daily sports because they the contest changes every day, right, of what they offer and everything and different, two different sites. So a lot of times, like today in MLB, for when we're recording, they're running the $6 on DraftKings, the $6 super knuckleball, whatever, dollar in a dream type of thing. But it's like, well, I'm also playing the single entry stuff. All I mean, like, like in MLB, I allocate so much more towards GPP than I do in NFL. So I don't mind because I, 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 I think of that in the terms of a season. But in NFL, I mean, I may, I may be playing $8,000 in cash games on the slate and $2,000 in GPP. So like, if I play $200 worth of Millie Maker entries, what's what's so bad? That's 2% of my total volume. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the 2% that could go poof, right? But if I was only playing $500 worth of volume, why would I pay 40% in the Millie Maker? I mean, like, I mean, you can, but obviously your risk tolerance has to be high knowing that 40% of your money is most likely going to disappear. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's, um, I mean, that's probably closer to what I should have viewed it as. Not that, like, I was just like, let's, I, my only contests today are, are maxing the million. That's obviously not what I was doing. But I do think just in terms of, if you looked at, if you took, like, somehow measured the average time for my lineups or my money to realize it's, uh, it's equity versus yours, yours would be much closer to your life expectancy versus mine because I'm still playing the, you know, for instance, I am playing not uh, $2,000 of, uh, of GPP lines, maybe six, 700 on the week uh, on the NFL slate. And 10% of that is towards the play action. That's 10% that I'll never see. I, I know I'll never see, but if I scale that back to five, two, one, whatever percent, uh, whether by playing more action or by playing not the full 20 into the play action, uh, then it becomes a very palatable way to spend a few dollars because, you know, it's just like uh, having this balanced portfolio. You want to have this tiny, tiny, tiny tail end, but the tail end should probably have some sort of reflection on your time horizon to collect on that tail end in terms of your amount of your portfolio it takes up. And I probably for what I want to realize, which like I'm not doing this for a living, but I'm doing it for more than just beer money. I'm somewhere in between that. Um, my tail end of time horizon should be closer to my tail end of how I want to, uh, you know, accrue the money uh, and how much equity I have. So yeah, I think it's probably the, you know, the the reason I ask this is is not to find out, like you said, not if you should play it, but how much of it should be uh, your action. Well, it also depends on how good you are at playing those types of contests. Yep. I mean, the I I I say all the time that the difference between large field and small field GPPs are like playing two different games. There, it's two. It's two different. It's it's night and day. So you, the people that play these small field GPPs are typically not very good at the large ones, and the ones that play large field ones, a lot of times, like me, my big my biggest errors in small field GPPs is being too contrarian, because I because I build primarily for large field GPPs. So there are a lot of lineups that I play in the hundred dollar spy. That now I don't mind playing contrarian because you could typically the ownership condenses, which means you could get a lot more leverage fading certain players because they'll be way more owned in single entry, 
right? A player that that is an NFL that is 26% owned in the large field, maybe 46% owned in single entry because they're like the obviously underpriced running back play of the week type of thing. But it also just gives you more leverage that if they fail and you don't have them, you know, half the lineups in the contest are dead, right? So it gives you more more incentive not to play them in the small third. So that's how I think. But that comes from a very large field type of mentality, right? Because it's like, who are the chalkiest guys? How do I beat How do I beat 100,000 entries in this contest? Well, you know what the easiest way to do? Fade the chalk. I mean, like, that's the, <laughs> that's the easiest way. Doesn't mean you have to fade all of it. Obviously, you have to properly leverage your lineup. But in smaller field contests, when you're playing a, when you're playing, I mean, some, some of these three, the, the four figure contests, 78 entries, right? 78 single entry contest. It's a $33,000 entry fee to beat 78 entries. You could essentially kind of play your cash lineup. Like what, whatever a cash lineup would look like, you could essentially play, kind of play that. Who are the best plays? Let me make a little stack. Yep. And get lucky on defense and whatever. And like, so like the skill set needed for the large field contests is much more than like in the small field, you're relying very heavily on that projection lever. And even the correlation level, like in NFL, a lot of times in the small field, the better, better thing to do is to overstack. Just say, if I find the right game, just take as many of those pieces and I, I could survive a zero if that game goes off 45 to 28 or something. Like you could do that, but in large field you can't take as you can't take a zero. It's very rare that you can. You'd have to have a very low owned lineup in order to win <laughs> with a zero, because all the other guys are one percent and they put up fifty points. Uh, the 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 Jay Sternberger lineup last year when the right. like week one or two, because uh, you just got a billion points out of Aaron Rodgers or whatever, and or a Devontae billion points Adams. out of there yeah, were like three. There were three guys in that lineup that were two two percent owned or less. Yeah, no, that had them, ceilings yeah. that like no, and having them all three together, like there's probably yeah. no other lineup in the contest that yep. had that together. Right. Yeah, you need to to get to get uh, any imperfection in your lineup. You need to like you need to go from the 99th percentile to the 99.999 percentile right. if you have already accepted an imperfection, which is which is not repeat which is not a repeatable process. Absolutely, yeah. I mean the big the big thing back then when like I came out and said like why are we I mean that's the main thing why are we studying winning lineups anyway? Like to me that lineup is not that's not a plus EV lineup. Like if you That's why you study it. <laughs> no, well, there's no <laughs> point in study. Well, to, to me, it's a disservice to people to say, it's like, okay, negative EV doesn't mean you can't win. It just means that the amount of times that you win doesn't equal the amount of times that you pay in so you end up losing money over the Ooh, long you run. Know what, you know what lineup would have been a good way to teach that lesson? What? You study that one that won. Uh, you can study things that are bad and be like, don't do that. Even if it won, you do like, I think that's yeah, but no, it was studying that people were studying it on how it was good. And I was like, what the fuck? Well, no, you gotta, doing? You're, you're blaming, you're saying you can't study it. You're saying you can't study it. If you're dumb, <laughs> there's a difference. Oh no. I want dumb people to study it. You know how many well, times I, in baseball, some unstacked mess wins a GPP and they go, should we not stack anymore? And I go, I hope you don't stack anymore. It makes it easier for me. Yeah, last year at uh, at Osimo, there was I was like they were like yeah, uh, just break down the the million maker winning lineup, and there were some lineups where I wrote like don't do this. I was like uh, yeah, this one, I mean I can see how it worked and I describe how it worked, but at the end of that I said like you know there's a unstacked quarterback, and I was like yeah there are other things in this lineup are good, but you should still I you know pull up the numbers of the past fifty million maker winners, and it's a very specific 
one lineup, only one of them had ever been non-quarterback stacked. So you can look at a, if you have a good teacher, you can look at a lineup uh, and even if it succeeded, find out why it was a uh, potentially minus EV. But uh, I don't think people think that way. Those are the thing. They see no, the most lineup. people do. I, I say, if you're going to study lineups, either study what the top 0.1% of lineups or just study good players. Right? Yeah, you'll, study, you'll get more use of your time by studying good players, right. for sure. But you're not going to be able to, even Osama, when they won the, the Euro, the first Euro slate with that substitute that he forgot to take out of his lineup. <laughs> I didn't Right? Know. It's not he didn't do that on purpose. He didn't, oh, I'm going to play the backup that's going to come in after Castagna gets injured. No, it, it, just dumb luck, right? The, the, what, would you what would you learn from that? You would learn, what would you learn? And you ask Alex. You would learn sometimes bad lineups win. If right, right. That, but that's that. what Alex would, but that's what Alex would say. Alex wouldn't say, well, I left yeah. in, he didn't purposely leave in Moynier as mm. a substitute. Moynier was expected to start. And Alex is probably busy in his life that he put <laughs> in all the lineups before the starting 11s came out and never checked. And it just so happened that, okay, well, whoops, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do the global swap even. And then the guy gets injured and the guy comes in and scores a goal in the sit. I mean, like, like shit happens. Murata, someone won showdown with a goal off the bench, which is a little bit more viable on a showdown slate, uh, especially in a knockout game because they could go 120 and get... Sub that, that, but most likely you're not playing substitutes, but, like, there's nothing to learn from... There's, like, to me, I, I want to learn from sharper... I want to learn from players that have higher... that have... ROIs that I would like, GPP ROIs that I would like to switch with, right? Yeah. I mean, but if, if I if I write an article that says, here's uh, what Brick's 150 set, 150 set looked like, everyone's going to be like, Brick, who the hell is Brick? So, uh, you know, you got to you gotta draw people in somehow. Uh, the, the, I'm not saying it's you're the corporate best now. You're corporate you're now. You're NBC corporate now, thinking thinking about the, the content and the clicks. I've always thought about the clicks. I like uh, I, I like making content that people like as long as it's not actively making them worse. Like if you can look at the lineup at one and me tell you, probably don't play this lineup. I get that at one. Probably what don't what play do you it. write about that? What's the headline? Here's the lineup you shouldn't play. Click on it. Who's clicking on that? This I think that'd be a good headline. <laughs> this don't this Millie Maker lineup sucked. Is probably a good headline. People, I think that'd be, that'd get clicks. I think. But what are you going to say? It's one line. Don't do this. Here's the lineup. There you go. Well, say why you don't do it. And, well, then, and, then, do? and then you get the comments that are like, well, that guy won a million and you didn't. Yeah, you can't teach everyone. But if you can, I, I think if you can look at a lineup, if I can teach someone that uh, to look at a lineup that won and them understand why you probably shouldn't have played it, why it was minus EV, that is also a very successful uh, teaching lesson to get across that counterintuitive point of the winning lineup isn't always good. Now, of course, that you know, like you, you know this, that doesn't always happen. You don't always, uh, you teach the counterintuitive lesson and people don't get what makes it, it counterintuitive. It almost never happens. It, uh, most people don't get it. I do a show every oh. morning on Roto-Grinders. I always get two or three new people that just don't get it. Well, why, are you, why are you talking about all these numbers and stuff? Why are you... Why aren't we talking about baseball? It's like, well, why? What's a, it's, it's a math game. Why do we have to yeah. talk? Everything's already in there, right? Just like in football, everything, everything's already in there. Like, what, what, are we, what, what, what are we talking about? To me, the more interesting stuff is the roster construction, is, mm -hmm. is the ownership, is the game theory. Because to me, that's, that's where the edge comes in. Like, like dude, like projection, even projection-wise, like... It, who doesn't have good? Pro I mean, obviously, there's plenty of the in NFL. There's plenty of casual people that don't even understand 
what projections are, but I mean, around the industry, is there that dramatic of a difference in projections? No, definitely not. You uh, you said that when we were you were DMing me to come on the show, you were like, you can talk about uh, you know your prep for the NFL season, and I was like, I am making content for the NFL season, but is as it regards as it relates to DFS, I'm not doing any uh, like hard like like uh, let's get into the film or anything, or even let's dig into the numbers for the D. Like someone else is going to do that. Whoever I get my projections from is done prep. I hope they're doing prep for the NFL season right now, so I don't have to. So I can focus on you know niche best ball content or whatever. I hope they're they're getting ready for week one while I do other things. I you know I'll prep for week one uh, in like fifteen Wednesdays from now or whatever. Right or third right. My mine is the th- the Thursday before week one is. Yep. When I mean, obviously, you'll look at the salaries. They come out like three, four weeks in advance, and they're going to end up being inefficient or something. Is he always looking? I'll make a dubby lineup or whatever, <laughs> just to see what's going on. But most of the time, I'm looking. Oh, that guy's on that team. This guy's on. The, who are these people? Oh, those were those guys were dressed. Like I don't even pay attention to NFL. And of course, Eric keeps on beating down the drum that I should be playing best ball more. But that I don't know about putting the 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 time into. I see where the edge is, but uh, but I don't know. I, I still I, I'm still. <laughs> What don't you know about? Is it is it the time? Like, uh, I, I guess uh, I, I just don't get it. If there's an, you're you are about preaching about you know hunting for the edge. You're here not because you're the greatest sports fan in the world, because it's a really awesome way to make money, and it is that's the important thing is you can make money doing it. Uh, why not get into best ball? Because I'm, I'm all, but I'm also the type of person that if I'm not a hundred percent all in, that I don't feel comfortable doing it. Go hundred percent. Uh, but I don't. That's the point. I don't. That's 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 the that's the point. Even ninety percent is not good enough for me. It's like, like okay, there's baseball going on. There's there's soccer going on. What do I want? Like, because when people, why don't you, why don't you play hockey? Hockey's very similar to soccer and MLB, and it's correlated. It's like, well, there's more on my plate that I I can't do everything well. I'd rather do smaller things well. Like why? Why don't you play the late slate? Why aren't you playing the showdown slate? Why aren't you playing on Yahoo? Why aren't you playing on Superdraft? Why aren't you, like like I'm only one person and yes, there is you could you could do a lot of things 85% well and make money. But you could also make the same amount of money doing 100% the, the less things 100% well, which am what am I more comfortable with? So to me it's more of a personality thing. It's not yeah. I agree with you. There's an edge in best ball. I can go on underdog right now. DraftKings best uh, best ball experiences and not all the greatest. But I mean there's there's gotta be an edge there also. But these structured drafts and everything, like <coughs> like I could pro- I could probably draft with just a, like a simple ADP list and not even know anything. And as long as I'm, you know, just stacking properly, I could have some shots at these large field best ball contests. But the question comes in. Like how much? How much am I? How much am I willing? Time am I willing to put in? How much yeah. money am I willing to put in? And is the time versus money worth it? Like there would be a difference, Kyle. If like an NFL Sunday, if I'm playing, you know, ten thousand dollars, like I'm gonna put in a lot of time into into, <laughs> into that, right? But like if I'm just like what you said with the play action, if you and if you're spending sixty bucks and you're playing a five hundred thousand entry contest like don't sweat you shouldn't be spending hours to make those lineups i mean like like the expectation is so low as it is like put together some yolo lineups enter it in grab a beer and watch watch red zone that's perfectly fine to do but how much like soccer like i i know soccer out of all the out of all the sports i know it the most 
It's probably my best sport overall. It's also the sharpest lobby. But mm-hmm. that, that, does that mean should I be the two game interleague slate on a Tuesday that has that that the, the that barely has any double ups? Like I could get a grand total of two hundred dollars worth of good action, right? Two hundred, two hundred versus I'm going to play MLB later today for for two thousand dollars. But then I'm still going to put the same amount of time for two hundred. I still have to make lineups. I mean, I no matter how much money I'm spending or volume I'm, I have, the time to make the lineups is still just going to be the same. So I so that's when oh there's a Europa League Thursday late slate, and it's like. Am I going to spend time figuring out these five teams from Eastern Europe and some of them I've never heard of and figure out good lineups for a grand total of $172 of action? Or am I going to make sure that I, I get everything right for baseball or everything right for basketball that I'm going to be spending, that I'm going to have at seven o'clock tonight have $3,000 of volume? Like, like that, to me, that, to me, that's the issue. If I'm willing to, to invest ten thousand dollars into best ball you damn straight that i'm gonna be mm-hmm. i'm gonna be taking it that's I'm, I'm gonna be skipping mlb slates for that but then i also have to realize that in best ball you put it in and i don't see that money until the end of the year right like yeah. it's not churned like it is in dfs where you see it every night and if you have a five percent roi you're just churning that roi day after day after day after day this is a Maybe I have a thir- let's say I have a thirty-five percent edge, which would be high, obviously. Very high. <laughs> Very high. But let's just say. Yeah, sure, sure. Right, but I think some of the some of the good good best ball players could have a twenty percent edge. Yeah, I can see it. I see some. Of, I see some of these drafts. Yes. Yeah, drafting definitely. is very, especially on drafting. It's, it's right. quite soft. So let's say you even if you had thirty-five percent edge and you realized it exactly. You put in ten thousand, you get thirty five hundred. Over the score, over over what, five months? I can make more. I can make more in double ups and, yeah. and playing every day in MLB. I mean, I could, like, I could get there the same way, because it's 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 compounded. Like that's yeah. to me, that's the biggest difference between season like investing. Yeah. Like, yep, that's perfect. Like, I, like, yes, I could be a good season long MLB player. I could join NFBC or whatever. I could, I. I probably can't join the five thousand dollar leagues, take it seriously enough. No good game theory and beat and beat those. Th- but for what a fifteen percent edge over the scope of a six month season, and I have to put in work every week for fab and yeah. waiver pickups. Are you kidding me? I could I could build today's on today's uh, uh, MLB slate tonight for what nine games. I could show up at half an hour before and build 150 plus EV lineups and then go to sleep <clears throat> like for a half an hour worth of work every day. I can make more money than, than cause uh, especially in, in the season long stuff, like the higher stakes you go, you don't find dead money there. Right. Yep. Like as a most like the, the, do you do? Okay. Since you're in both worlds, Right, because because you've been doing season long stuff also. I mean, not just before NBC Sports Edge, which is still weird for me to say. It's still it's still Roto World to me. Uh, the biggest difference between the types of people, I, I learned this. I learned this a lot from RotoWire, because obviously I do their soccer podcast with Andrew Laird, uh-huh. and I've and every All Star break they have a Vegas trip, 
So everyone goes out to Vegas. I'm not going this year, but I went for two years. So every all the rioter, any anyone that's involved with the company could come out and whatever, and they they have you know they end up paying for some some meals and stuff. They don't really get, they don't pay for much else. So it's like it's more like oh, you want to go out. There's nothing else to do. <laughs> uh, the types of people like if in DFS, if you said like like for instance, you were playing in soccer. You're like, oh, I'm just, there's overlay. I'm going to play the $555 contest, right? In season long, like when you, when, when you talk to most people, even in the industry about like what leagues are being played, like people don't play like $555 for a season long for six months of a season is considered that's a, that's pretty hefty price tag. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but in DFS, that's considered like um, that's you had to put it that it may not even be considered high stakes. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't. I was like, oh man, I don't really think you can call it a three through three. Uh, you know, that's a. I remember that one. There was, but it, uh, but, it, but, it, but in season long, like that's higher than like what ninety nine point nine percent of people play mm-hmm. for for an entire yeah. season, let alone one day. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I mean, so, I, I but, get the I get the time investment and the inability to compound. Those are reasons why I would I probably like I wouldn't max any of the um, the contests on DraftKings. Like I have a bunch of tickets to them. I'll probably also just buy in my own, like not needing the tickets. Uh, but like it, this won't be the bulk of my uh, like uh, fantasy investing portfolio ever. It just uh, and I like it a lot. I, I make content for it, so I, I probably should have some sort of uh, stake in it. I have had an edge in it in previous years. I, I would imagine it's not, it doesn't seem incredibly hard this year on DraftKings at least. But yeah, the inability to compound is definitely something. Um, but, but isn't but isn't that the mindset difference between most, the season-long industry and the DFS industry is that DFS players think more in time in terms of how do I make the most amount of money for the least amount of time while in the season-long space, it's more about Oh, I, I, I like sports and if I could make some money on the side doing something that I already do, that would be nice. Well, yep, absolutely. Well, I get that, that's, but that's not efficient. Like <laughs> see, the DFS space is more encapsulated with people that are into either stock investing, uh, coming from finance, coming from poker, poker coming from coming from crypto, whatever. What I mean, even though I'm not into crypto NFT, like it's all about like what, where's the next edge? I don't care what industry, like it's, it's the mindset of like, we're not into DFS because it's sports related. We're into DFS because it's game related mm-hmm. and there's an edge there. So if there was an edge, if, if, if people found an edge in some random game, right. That, that okay. I'm going to learn how to play that game. Right. Just, but in, in the season long space, it seems, it seems when, when you talk in terms of that, it seems very foreign. Like it's like, well, like going to that, 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 that Vegas meetup like twice. It's like, I'm talking to a lot of people that know a lot about football, a lot about baseball, you know, play, they may be in 20 season long leagues in baseball and they have fab and all, and then you could, they can list you off fan graph stuff. They can list <laughs> baseball savant. Like, like these are, maybe they're, they have one main event team that they split with four buddies type of thing. So like, Oh, that's, that's, that's the team that they care about, you know, like that, like that. But it's like, like, but like none of them do this for a living because they're not thinking in terms of like, I don't care about, I care about money. I don't care about, I don't care about the enjoy. Like the, to me, it's, it's, 
the fun part is winning money using your brain, not that it's baseball. Like, if, like if, if there was no money in it, I wouldn't be, like, it. you would never hear out of any season long in, in the industry, if there was no money in this, I, I would not play it. Because it's very similar in soccer. The Fantasy Premier League game, FPL, is massively popular. Especially in the UK and Europe. It's a, it's it's run by the by the Premier League officially. You have eleven players. You have transfers, and there there are millions upon millions of people that play it, and they play it seriously. There are podcasts that get tons of downloads. They talk about you know the game weeks coming up and the transfers and who you captain and three star and the rankings. But you don't win it. There's no win. There's like there's no winning anything. There's no. You get a firm handshake or something. I mean, I think maybe the first, the guy that the person that wins first out of like sixteen million people gets like uh, here's a jersey and like ten thousand dollars, like some some yeah. type of Samsung oh, sponsors it and gives him the biggest TV they have, or whatever. right, right, or something like that. And I look and I go, why the hell am I spending thirty eight weeks doing all of the, like why am I spending time if I'm not getting any money in return? It's something that's enjoyable, but if there's a money version of this. I prefer the money version of this, and there aren't any. And in FPL, if you if you're gonna have a private FPL league, that's a thousand dollars. You ain't finding bad players in that. You ain't finding. It's the same thing, just like with the the NFL, whatever. The main of you're not gonna find bad players. So what's your edge in those? So I, that's so. But that that just that that mentality seems to be. It almost seems like I. It feels like I talk and and these season long people, even in the industry that write people that. May work for for Sports Edge, or RotoWire, or Yahoo Sports, or like it just seems like we talk two different languages. That like everyone's like just with the best ball stuff, like with what Eric's doing. Like everyone's talking about arguing over ADPs and stuff like that, and like like how about what contest will I will I make the most amount of money? Like like and it's like well that's not sports. Like how, why isn't that like? That's to me. That's the disconnect. Like, I'm, I'm, I, it's like I feel like I need to shake people. Like I see because I see all this content. Like we're gonna see NFL coming up. Obviously, the fantasy industry for NFL is just you could you could you could you could wake up and read NFL fantasy content for the entire day, and then follow and 14 hours later, and you're still seeing new content. And it's like, and then how I approach NFL is like. Dude, I don't have to read anything. I just need an injury. I need an injury report and projections, and I can make money. Like, why wouldn't I be doing that? And people look at me like I'm 14. Why wouldn't you want to be? Why don't you want to be at work during and and slacking off and looking at and looking at at at, at, at t- target shares and watching the all 22 and watch and like, do, how does that translate into money? Like, does that translate into money? I've learned that all of what you're looking at is already in the projections and. So why 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 am I why would I sit at a poker table? I'm gonna show up early for the poker table, and they're just gonna sit there for three hours before cards are dealt. Like no, I'll be there when I'll be there when the hands are dealt. Like why why do I need to? It it just it just feels so foreign to me. Uh, I'm making it out like I'm the one that's right on this. I, that's what I was gonna right? say. Right, I'm obviously putting it's... bias from a perspective. Of why aren't like? But but to me that 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 makes the in. To me, that that's the dis- disingenuous part of like that's 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 the main reason that I don't necessarily love DFS content. I agree. From, so this from is from the where season I long perspective because it's yes. 
if you're not coming from the mindset of mm -hmm. none of the sports matter, all that matters is you making the most amount of money, most of the stuff that you'd be looking at for at, from a season-long mindset going into DFS would be completely wrong. Like, it wouldn't matter. None of that stuff would really even matter. Yeah, so I guess – so I, I agree with you. I would never in my life, like – consume DFS content that I didn't think gives, gives me an edge. And there are totally like podcasts and articles that I looked at and go, oh, that's a good leverage point. You know, I should have thought of that. Oh, that's a different roster construction. They're few and far between, but that's just because there's a lot of content. If you look hard enough, I do think you can find good DFS content, even if it is relatively scant. The only thing I would say is if someone, if someone came up and told you I'm playing the play action, playing one lineup in the play action. It's totally for fun. I don't expect to make money. Why would you waste your time learning about game theory to make content for them? Well, because you well, because you want to play the best lineup you possibly can. But they don't. That's the thing is that person does not want to play the best lineup. That is no, 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 no. Uh, hold on. The person that's doing that is still reading all the other content. That's the point that I'm making. That's, that's the point that I'm making. Like people, people that most people that play on DraftKings or FanDuel are casual players, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that they're casual as in, uh, it's 1230 before I want to, oh, I don't know what's on or whatever. And I'm just going to build a lineup. Yes. Yeah, so that could be some casual meaning that it's people that may be in their own fantasy league with their friends. And it's like, maybe they play on DraftKings once in a while. And on Sunday night, they're like. I'm going to make a couple of lineups for this Millie maker type mm -hmm. of thing. These are people that on Tuesday are reading waiver wire pickup articles. These are people that are, re they're reading all the, uh, all that content to learn more about quote football. Like who, who stuck, like we, what do we have on, on Saturdays? Start sit, start sit. Mm -hmm. Do I play that? It's the same thing of, do I play this guy or this guy? What, what, tell me what the purpose of that for, if you think in the mentality, like this is, this, to me, this is the big, the biggest difference. If I had a start sit, if someone asked me a start sit question, like I wouldn't be able to write any, any words. Because I don't understand why you wouldn't just play the player that has a higher projection. Like, so what am I right? So what is the article for? Like if, if you said start. It's entertainment. Sit, well, I know it's for it, but I'm saying usefulness if you're thinking in the mindset of playing dfs you're thinking in terms of time efficiency and how much money you can make so start sit articles are not are in and of themselves the the opposite of what would be useful for dfs right if you're thinking from a mindset perspective oh i mean absolutely the right the right the right article for a it here's the here's the start sit for season long people that are thinking in that mentality. So you basically what you're doing in the start sit or whatever, whatever type of thing. Here's the 10 value plays, whatever the hell it is. Uh, the picks type of article. So the sit, I'm talking about it from a mentality difference. Like the season long type of play, the the the, the types of person that doesn't come up at come from come at this game from a math perspective. They're like, just tell me who's gonna do well tomorrow, type of perspective. Well, you have to tell them, you have to go, well, you have to, this guy, this running back's good, that wide receiver's good, and this tight end is good, right? And you write two paragraphs each on why they're good. 
Now, my article would just list those three players and say, these are the three highest projected players at these positions. Is my article any different from your article? It's not. You're just explaining the, you're just explaining the, it's the same exact thing, but from an efficiency standpoint, I don't need to know. Like, well, in the past three games, he's did like, number one, that's not even relevant. It's a small sample size and it wouldn't even factor. Like, you're, it's a lot of the articles are justifications of the projections that already exist. There would be no like I don't see any decent con- any decent one. Like if at NBC Sports Edge, if you had NFL projections that showed X player projects poorly, they're probably not going to be in many articles. I mean like the like it's but from a time perspective in the DFS mentality, my main goal, I've learned and I I've had to learn this. When I started uh, for a year or two in, and what well, anyone starts, you think you can't get enough information, right? You go, yeah. well, I got this much. Like, like, there has to be more. There has to be more edge I could find somewhere, right? I'm going to study this. I'm going to study pitch types. I'm going to study, especially in baseball, you could go down the rabbit hole with that stuff. And you start you start going through, going there. I've If I have time in the day, I have time to look at stuff, right? You think in those terms. 100%. Which is the season long, that's that that mentality, the DFS mentality is the opposite. One, once you learn what is not efficient, you get you actually get you become more profitable the less time you put in. So it actually becomes inverse. Most season there's there's going to be a diminishing returns for anything. So even in that that season long mentality of more and more I look at, obviously in the beginning it's going to be useful because you need to know something. But there's going to get to a point that you're looking at stuff that the differences between you having that information and not having the information is not going to make much of a difference. There's going to be you spending another 10 hours ain't going to change anything, right? You've already spent 30 hours looking at shit. The extra 10 ain't going to do anything for you. But in DFS, it's the opposite. DFS, you start by saying, okay, I'm waking up at 10 in the morning. I'm going to study this MLB slate. I'm going to go on fan graphs. I'm going to go on baseball savant. I'm going to look at this. I'm going to look at that. I'm going to look at weather reports. I'm going to look at this. I'm like, and you spend eight hours doing it until you realize five years later that you spending eight hours doing it actually made you, was worse than you spending 10 minutes doing it. Like once you oh, find- I, the- I agree with, I agree with everything you said. Like there is um like the- the way that people approach season long is a massive waste of time and will probably more often lead you astray from making good DFS decisions than it will ever lead you toward being a profitable player. My only contention is like you said, uh, you know, that, that bias, I think that's okay. Do whatever you want. If you like, like you make it sound like it is a crime to just want to throw away $3 on the play action. No, no, I'm not saying it's a, no, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm saying it's, it's a, it's, I'm talking more about efficiency. Not if you want to throw a lineup into the three dollar contest and play whoever you want for. And if you're playing for entertainment, you could throw. At, you're not listening to this podcast. Just throw it out. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> what what I'm saying is that if if your goal is to win, make money, then it has then it's not entertaining. And that may be enter, it's entertaining for me, but that that's that, that shift. So you can't say in the season long space of I'm uh, of. Here, here's what you need in order to win your league or make money in your league and then not be efficient. And like, that's the mindset. That's the, that's, that's the mindset shift. That's why talking with season long industry people or players 
a lot of times it's just, it's just two different types of people. Like the, the different, like that Vegas meetup, for instance, mm-hmm. the difference between a Vegas meetup with Rotowire and a Vegas meetup with Roto-Grinders, right? The difference between the two, just the men, I'm just talking about mentalities of people. I guarantee at, at the Rotowire meetup, it's, it's a lot of uh, people talking about uh, their drafts and their, and their, 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 their fab pickups. And it's a lot of, a lot of that. And it, most of the time it's for $20 leagues. And it's like, who, but it's for pride. It's like, well, I won, I won six out of my 20 leagues last year. It's like, well, how much money did you make? Oh, 200 bucks. Like, who gives a fuck? I mean, mm-hmm. but that's, that's the DFS mindset at, at the, the Roto-Grinders meetup. We're most likely to be betting on horse the, for the 10 minutes after getting there. Like it's that, it's the gambler's mentality more so than the sports fans mentality. Sports just happens to be that obviously something you could bet on. Obviously yeah. something that you could follow and argue about. Is this guy better than that guy? I'll bet you a hundred bucks he wins the MVP. But the season long mindset isn't like no one's betting a hundred dollars on who's going to win. Like that's, that's not the, that the, the betting on, on your knowledge is not like, it's more about pride than about money. And to me, and to me, it's from a D the DFS mindset, from the poker mindset, from the gambler's mindset. We see it. We see. We see it. If you if you're on Twitter, that it it's one of the big things. If you're not willing to put money on it, then what's your opinion worth? Like, but that that is a very much a a DFS mindset. So it's hard for a DFS player at like me to look at content and go, well, what money do you have on it? Right, like like. Right. And see, like if it's if you're playing the five thousand dollar main event and you're talking about I I have to automate it doesn't matter if you're good or bad, I have to respect you because what you're saying is what you're doing. Like why wouldn't you like you put but so many people in the season long space don't think of those because it's well it's not about the money, it's about the it's about mm-hmm. providing people value, whatever, in twenty dollar leagues at home, which I completely get as well. But how do I can't get out of the mentality of if you're not willing to put money on it, on any, on, it doesn't, people thought it was morbid for me to bet on COVID deaths. <laughs> people thought it was. I think it's okay to say it's morbid. Right. It's no, it's morbid. Yeah. Not, it doesn't mean I'm rooting for anything, but in March when the death count was only at like maybe two or 3000, there were plenty of people in my timeline that are like, this is no big deal. Right. And of course, I looked into. I know I understand microbiology enough. I know virology. I, I just common sense to me that there's going to be this, like there's going to be a, a good. There's a very good chance of a quarter million people dying this year in the United States. And the big, the biggest gambler in our DFS space, Empire Maker, basically was one, but basically thought fifty weren't going to be fifty thousand people dead from COVID. And I said, I said, I said, I'll, I said, there's going to be way more than that. And, but his attitude is, well, how much you want to bet on? I mean, like, like if don't say an opinion, not willing to put money behind. So it's like, you're absolutely right. I wasn't planning on betting on COVID deaths, but to me from it's, it's more of a, an integrity. I made a tweet that I, I think a lot of people are going to fucking die from this thing and people are not taking it seriously enough. And someone said, well, why don't you bet? 
If you're not willing to put money on it, then why should I? Then then it doesn't matter. So I said, okay, two two thousand bucks. And of course, I won that bet. And then I won another bet. I won a bet. Uh, I, someone gave me four to one odds on 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 two hundred and fifty thousand, right? And obviously, that hit, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I especially think with something like this that like individuals opinions on how serious uh covid would be actually matters like your individual actions matter so being able to financially stake your opinions where it matters is extra valuable and and solidifies your integrity in something that doesn't matter like fantasy football i don't find it as entertaining or fun when i'm watching someone who i know isn't really like getting their action in on it even if it's like not a ton, you know, it doesn't have to be that 5,000 main event, but someone who isn't really dedicating themselves in their wallet to it, it's not as good. But I will say that uh, I, I feel like there's a difference between the the, the COVID deaths and, uh, you know, start sit. Like you shouldn't have to put $1,000 on every start sit recommendation you make. No, I'm not, no, no, but I'm talking about the mindset. But yet, the, the, where people, how people approach things, yeah. right? If it, Anything comes up, and I'm like, I I believe I have an edge. I mean, I I bet against uh, I bet against uh, Empire Maker and the Awesome Challenge, right? As long as I got the right line, right? Did, did they did the Empire Thund- win that? Yeah, the Thunderdome yeah. Challenge. I thought I thought Alex played horribly, by the way. Uh, <laughs> like like he like he did not set uh, good lineups for the contest he was in. Yes, is what cool. you mean? Okay. Uh, uh, in what way? Because I remember I remember the the Twitter. I remember the Twitter thing. I actually didn't follow the contest very closely. So in what way? I'm curious. I, I, that kind of went I thought, me. I thought, uh, Empire Maker was, uh, well, minus 120 favorite. Mm-hmm. And I was getting better than that. So that, to me, that's all that mattered. I, I, was I getting better than the, than the odds? Yeah. Uh, it was a 10, it was a 10 Thunderdomes. If, if this, if this was a hundred Thunderdomes, Alex would have been the favorite. If it yeah. was a hundred in ten, I thought Empire Maker was the favorite because Alex does not build cash lineups well. Like you don't need like you're playing you're playing a fourteen man Thunderdome. Empire Maker is going to build a cash lineup. I mean mm-hmm. that's all he does is he builds. What's the what do I believe is the best lineup? And it may not even be the best projected lineup, but whatever he believes to be the best lineup, they're always going to be competitive ca- cash median lineups. But you don't have to, how many points do you need? I mean, you, to beat 14 people, to beat 10 people. Alex was building these lineups that would be fine in a 300-man. Like, if he was playing a single entry, like, if he was playing the 777 with 300 to 500 entries, would be fine. But, I mean, there there were many slates. Uh, like, I saw his basketball lineup. or so, uh, I, there was, I was just like, why? I see Empire Maker's lineup, and he's like, his lineup is like my lineup. Like, 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 like literally my cash, like, like it's the obvious lineup. And in 10, in a sample size of 10 Thunderdomes, how is, how is, how much leverage do you need? Because if Empire Maker could just come in second and third in like two or three of them, Alex gonna, is going to have to win one in order to even just break even because his lineups have too much variance in it. Like yeah. So lineup, do you think... Do you think Alex was making uh, lineups that were bad for the Thunderdome or were bad for the Thunderdome that included the Empire Maker uh, bet? Yes, both. I think think they were bad for, I think they were negative EV for the Thunderdome in and of themselves. And I think that it was a poor strategy. His lineups, 
His lineups at the end were fine because he was down. Okay. Like then, then I get it. But in the beginning, because I, I know I, I, I played AM two in con. I have to block him in order not to play head to heads in any sport against him. I know he's play. He plays a one lineup player. He plays it into everything, and whatever he doesn't, he doesn't leverage for the contest. He's not. He just here's my one lineup. I'm playing seven hundred thousand dollars worth of volume on one. I'm playing ten k head to heads. Like that, he's playing for against small, really small. So you don't. What do you? What do you need? Do you, how much game theory do you need to know? Nothing. Just play the best. Play the best plays and let other people make mistakes. That's kind of how he plays. And I saw Alex's lineups from the beginning, and I'm like, he's playing too cute. Like he's it just it's it's why do you, it's a 14 person contest, and he knows. That he should know that Empire Maker is going to be basically playing the optimal median lineup or something very yeah. close to it. So he's playing lineups that are giving up way too much projection for way too much ownership in a contest that's that's fourteen men. That's for like like I just I would just look and I just go why why that what wasn't there an NFL that he had Julian Edelman? No, like, my that's right. I remember that. I was just like why why are you doing this? Like this is this. Like you don't need to do like that. Yes. If you want to, if you want to beat a, a thousands of people, but to me that going back to what I said before, the biggest, the difference between small field and large field play. And this is really small field versus large yeah. field play. Like I consider Alex to be a great large field GPP player, but not the greatest small field GPP player because of that, that exact instance of mm-hmm. like, you're going to be going up against a lot of people that are going to be playing highly projected lineups that have high probability of like you don't need to, you don't need to beat them by 30 points. So, if you want to get slightly contrarian, then get slightly contrarian, but like he's playing the right game theory if it was a 1000-person contest and it's just like you're not going to win enough. And especially for that challenge, you're not going to cash enough. Intense like that I, that's it, it, what happened. It was exactly what I thought would happen. That that Empire Maker would cash enough, and Alex would basically have a one in ten shot at binking. Because I didn't think Alex was going to. Ca- I thought Alex would literally go nine, like low place finishes and like one fifty k. And if that could all even out to Empire Maker coming in second and third once or something like that, like that. That's where I saw the minus one twenty. But over a, a hundred sample size, now obviously you're giving Alex a lot more shots at at bink, 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 and then making it so that that Empire Maker just can't cash often enough to make up for that. So then I would put it on Alex's side. But obviously in a large field contest, I mean, I would, I would, I would think if you did the same challenge in the in the lotto type tournament, mm-hmm. I would, I would, and he'd say over. Let's and let's say. You make it a large enough sample size. Let's say you make it fifty. I mean, that's still not large enough, but it's still larger than ten. Yeah. I'd, I'd put Alex uh, as far as who would have the most amount of money. I'd probably put Alex at a minus fourteen hundred, minus fifteen hundred favorite, easily because Empire Makers are going to build. They could and is going to build one lineup, a cash lineup that's going to one point five x. Because we're talking about the we're talking about a fifty thousand person contest. Yeah. Like he doesn't win those. Like there's the. There's no way that his type of lineup is ever going to come in in the top 10 equity spots in those contests. Maybe you come in the top 10 of the 777, 500, maybe 1,000, 
but not not the hundred thousand entry, not like the million. Imagine doing the Millie Maker, <laughs> like Empire Maker is not going to win those. Alex could win those, so like the chances of the profitability chances go go much up. But but to me that's to me that this is this is what DFS is. Like did like so, we, we were talking before about the season long mentality type of things. Like me and you could talk about DFS. We if we had a DFS meetup with sharp DFS players, this is what we're talking about. Yet at the season long type of mentality type of players, it's all about about sports. Giannis and and Trey Young and and and, and DFS players are talking about like like two percent edges here and who's there and and contest selection and all that type of stuff. Because we realize that, like, most of that other stuff, like, either we've already come up with a process that automates it. We purchase a process that does that. Yeah. Like, it's part, it's part, like, all of that stuff is done for us. And we understand the value of our time versus money. That, like, even if I'd rather spend two hours watching a movie on Netflix than reading fantasy football. <laughs> right? So even from that perspective, what am I going to gain when I could... But you know, like I'm sure NBC Sports Edge has some baseball content today that is talking about you know who who the good pitchers are, or whatever. And it's like I could just go to the bat and just go like, what's the what are the numbers next to these players' names? And most likely, the stuff that you describe in that article about the pitchers correlates to the the numbers that I'm seeing anyway. So, but season long people don't think like that. Yeah, that's that's perfect. So I was thinking the exact same thing as you were describing the you know, the edge that Alex probably was giving up. That was what got, I was thinking, as you were saying, that, I was like, oh man, I'm excited for NFL season. I'm, I'm going to play some different contests, try and figure out, like really hone in like the differences between playing in the play action and, you know, maybe get more action into the spy. Like I didn't play the, the spy last year. I don't know why I just didn't play spy last year. Like, oh, really thinking about the differences between those sounds exciting to me. And then, but that's the DFS mindset is trying to figure out how to solve the game or at least come as close as possible. And uh, whenever you were saying that, that was, was like the most excited I've been for the NFL season. I was like, I'm really excited to like think about this and try and carve out an edge. Whereas I'm sure my friends are like, man, Browns are going to be good this year. Baker's going to have a breakout season. It's like you say that I don't even care. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when people, oh, the, this team sucks. It's like, I don't even know what the records of these teams are. Like, I don't even know what the records are. Is this team good? Is this team? All I see is numbers on my screen and that's it. That's it. All I'm looking at is like, okay, I'm gonna play the spy. People are gonna play this, and they're gonna they're gonna stack the cowboys here. They're gonna do that there, and I'm gonna do this and this. And like, what's the difference between the projections and the ownership of these two teams? And it's like, oh, actually, this team is slightly better than that team. Or what can I build here? And what can I build there? And then you go to the next contest. Oh, this now this is the play action, and it's like, okay, oh, here's the third tight end from this team, and stack with the run. What happens if this team actually blows out the other team? Like you're thinking of really weird. But you're, you're thinking of what happens versus of what you think is is going to happen. Like, I, like, like that whole predicting outcomes thing. Like in season in season long space, like that's that's all it is. Mm-hmm. Like, and that just to me, it just, it, it drains. It, the, 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 the end of this episode is me, is uh, me basically condemning most of the content that, that the company that you work for. <laughs> I would say- I would A lot, well, I mean, but I, to me, I, I have that opinion about the entire industry. So it's not, it's not just- not just NBC Sports Edge. It's just, just from a DFS perspective, like you do so much better by just like, just like xing out those sites and just never looking at them. 
I will say the only thing, as far as it goes for like the season long mentality, I think because a lot uh, more as time goes on, more of the DFS space is season long players going over, but the season long players who get it. Like I didn't start, I didn't play DFS during like the heyday. I didn't play until maybe like 20s. I didn't probably play seriously to 2016 or 17. Um, but it's the people who play season long, that subset of season long players who learn about DFS and it, it clicks. It just hits them and they love it. But they can bring that mentality back to season long, even if maybe it falls on deaf ears to some people. Um, I do think there's a sloshing back and forth that I like that I wish there was more of, though, because season long stuff, you know, it's mostly the, the this is the best player's got a great cornerback matchup. It's, uh, you know, whatever. It's all but I, like, to me, the most interesting content is the is the draft theory. Yeah. Like, the, all like the, we're getting some of that, though. Like, you in season long, even if it's not best ball, you still get that same types of draft theory on how to build optimal rosters and how to beat. You still have to win one of 12. It's not, you know, it, it, you're, you're. But also, uh, there's a difference between winning one of 12 and also winning one of the bigger, where yeah. you have to win one of 12 and also win one of 10,000. Yeah. So I think the more that, uh, you know, we slosh back and forth getting some season long people who really actually just. DFS clicks and they get it and sloshes back and forth. We get better content on the season long and best ball and even like, you know, weird dynasty, whatever type of sides. But, uh, you know, it's still a long way away from really being content I would consume on a regular basis. Right. But that's also a lot of the reason that, you know, in talking to the season long people that they get, they try to play DFS and then they come out of it with, oh, it's just a luck fest. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's like, it's like, oh, every. Everything that I know about football, I put into it and I still lose. So it has to be luck. And it's like, no, you just don't understand the game. Right. It's like, it's, 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 it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a test of your, not your football knowledge. It's a, it's a test of how well do you play a, a mathematical game in season long, you get a large enough sample size that your football knowledge, if you're better than the rest of your, you know, you know that this guy is worth way more than what he's being drafted for versus your opponents or your fab value or whatever, whatever the hell you're doing in season long. Like you, that's an edge, but in DFS, you don't get that edge because you get a one game sample size. So like, it's the same, just like in baseball. It's like, Oh, okay. How much edge do you have knowing that, uh, that Vlad Guerrero is better than Reese Hoskins? Mm -hmm. Like how much do you get? Like not in season long. You would. Players, if honestly. someone, if someone in season long was like, I'm going to draft Hoskins before Vlad. That's massive edge, you right? You, and you got Vlad before you. Yes, if but, you say so. Right, if, right. Hoskins plays for the Phillies. Yeah, had a good. The Phillies went off last night. I know yeah. that. I had some. It was one of the very few times in a week that there was overlay in MLB. So I know that guy. I don't know the Guerrero guy though. Oh, they both hit home runs. Yes, you don't have Vlad Guerrero Jr. on the Blue Jays. No. He's no. an MVP candidate. But I'm sure. What, what, what I'm saying you is. Say that, so. oh, over the course of 162 games. Look, look at you, you, you baseball nerd with all your baseball knowledge, knowing all these players. I just, I just, I just know that he hits a lot of home runs. And he's an You've seen him in the spreadsheets. Yeah. Right. I see him in the spreadsheets. But what I'm saying is that the difference of like yeah. that, if by, by playing Mike Trout or whoever, like, like what it could be any sport, like you get to realize that edge over 162 games in season long. Right. If you draft a good team, if you're playing at a 12, 12 person league and, you know, you're the one one someone, or, or, let's say in your league, the, the, the first round draft pick, someone drafts uh, McCall Hardman. With one one, like obviously like you're you, you're going to make money in that league, probably. Right. 
right? If they're if people are being drafted, just like yeah. oh, someone drafted Aaron Rodgers second, then, right? You get let's say you get Christian McCaffrey with one nine, like that edge you have over a 17, 18 week period in DFS. You don't get that. You don't. What what edge do you get? You only get to, to realize that for one one day, and in a one day sample size, fucking anything could happen, right? So if like you're playing a lineup in baseball where I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, in DFS, if you say for the same amount of salary, would you rather play, uh, uh, AJ Brown or would you rather play Byron Pringle? And someone says, I'm going to play Byron Pringle and you're playing them head to head. And that's the only difference between your two lineups, right? Let's just say. If you were to play them for 18 straight weeks like that, you'd crush them. But it doesn't mean you're going to win all 18 weeks. Every, every once in a while, every once in a while, Byron Pringle is going to score more fantasy points than AJ Brown, right? There's going to be an injury. Yeah, there's yeah. going to be something like that. So to me, that's that's the that, that time horizon difference is is the mentality. So that's why when season long players go into DFS, they view it as a luck. They oh, this is all luck box. It's like, no, it's just as probabilistic as as why you're drafting Christian McCaffrey with the first pick. Because you're, you're, you're expecting X amount of points these X weeks. But can you tell me which weeks he's, he's going to do the best? Like, that's what you have to do in DFS and hope that, mm-hmm. yes, 62% of the time he gets there, but 38% of the time he doesn't get there. You don't necessarily care that much in season long because you have him for 17 weeks regardless, right? So to me, that's that's what that's what creates the mentality. Of well, I know football. I should do well in DFS, and and that's also creates that 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 mentality of I know DFS, so I could get into season long, I could get into best ball, and still do like to me it must it must blow it must it must uh, incense some some of the long term fantasy football people that like the best ball stuff. Like some of these DFS people are going to come in and just destroy them in best ball, right? I mean, Good. I, I, I hope, can just I, I can tell from sense. the stuff that I'm reading because I listen to some stuff and I'm like, dude, like, and anyone that I follow for DFS that has gotten into best ball is so much sharper than like anyone else that that <laughs> I follow just for football when it comes to best ball. Like, oh, the stuff that's being talked. That's why do you think I want to get in? That's so I'm like, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm looking at drafts because I know enough. I know enough of what's going on. And I look at some of these drafts and I go, what the hell are people doing? And then I see like one or two sharp players that have lineups that are like, that can win a million dollars. Right? Like that, like, like people are drafting for like how to beat a 12 person league, but they're playing a contest that isn't based around trying to beat a 12 person league. It's like you have so little upside in doing that. And you see their picks and you go, how, how, do, how, do you, how do you win this? And they'll quit they'll, and they'll look and they'll go, well, I'm picking the best player at every position. It's like, yeah, but that's not what wins these contests. What wins these contests yeah, so is I, having outliers from everything and have them all correlated with one another. I'll close out on one last question because I, I got to get back to my job at some point. I'm just like, nothing's happening. I'm, uh, you know, nothing's What's happening. What's happening? Right now, what? so. it's, it's, a, it's a Wednesday in July. Is there that much you, NFL news happening? No, that's why I'm able to come on while I'm on my shift because nothing's happening. But uh, uh, so I guess I have one last question. Do you get like actual enjoyment out of having an edge, not out of playing the sports, but of, out of having an edge? Like, do you? Why would so? I? 
Exactly. That's what I love about DFS. Like, it's like anything. But if I pull If I didn't the, have an edge, why would I even be doing it? No, I, I guess I'm saying do you enjoy having an edge? Like, is it more... Is it a good job, I guess, would be the way to put it. Is playing DFS with an edge a good, fulfilling, or at least useful job better than pushing papers? Oh, it's better than pushing papers, but it's not a fulfilling Obviously. job. It's not, it's not a fulfilling job. Yeah, I wouldn't say fulfilling, but a better than average job. I actually, like enjoy the mental pursuit of finding the edge. Like, I do think, I don't, I wouldn't say fulfilling. That feels a little, uh, a little congratulatory. No, well, but, it depends on what you mean by say, see, cause I played poker for five years and I kind of got out of that cause it, it really wasn't fulfilling. Like, yes, I enjoy having an, I enjoy profiting from an edge and being good at a game. And, but at the end of the yeah. day, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm eating unhealthy, dealing with degenerates <laughs> in the basements of places and casinos. It's like, what am, what am I producing? What am I doing? Like, it just feels like I'm not, like, all I'm doing is basically taking disposable income from, from plumbers, right? I mean, like, <laughs> like, like that type, like, it just yeah. feels, it, feel, it feels like just unfulfilled, which is fine. But I felt like that's what that, and that's why I, I did, I got more back into my comedy career and traveling around the country. But then you get to a point where that's fulfilling, but it doesn't pay much. Right, yeah. then, just like, and then you have to supplement that with computer work, which you're I'm skilled at, but don't want to do. Right, it's one of those like, yes, I get paid really well to do it, but I just I I don't want to do that. So like, my goal has always been to like never have a real job. So like to say that playing DFS is fulfilling is it's not. You're not. You're, I'm not. I to me do, the reason why I do this podcast and I do the shows on Roto Grinders to yeah. me that's to me to me. I can't not do that. If I would just sat and played DFS and no one knew who I was and just, it, it's, 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 a, it's a hard living. It's not easy. You, you have to be willing to have downswings and it's not stable at all. So I would not recommend, I would, it's not a recommended. It's only for certain types of people that could, could do that type of thing. But to me, it's the performance aspect. It's doing the podcast. It's going on Twitter. Like I get more fulfilled out of the community aspect and the content aspect as long as i'm know that i'm providing value being truthful and entertaining hopefully that's why it, like if i couldn't do that it's almost like i i'd be less inclined to play dfs i 100 agree i wouldn't uh i only i've only gotten into most of the stuff i've done uh fantasy wise whether it be uh you know best ball dynasty whatever because I make, I've been asked to make content for it, so then I learn about it, and then I'm like, okay, I can make content. I get my action, I play, and then like I understand this a little bit. And then I make content. If I didn't make content, uh, I, I probably wouldn't. But I do like the idea of like, you know, just you go into some best ball draft and you have this roster where not because of the players, but because of the construction or understanding what types of builds you need to win first. Like getting that edge, I think is is entertaining. Like the edge is entertaining, which is like my only other pitch for you to get into best ball is because there is a really good edge and uh, I like having an edge in a way that uh, like I would do in my free time if it wasn't massively consuming. And I don't think it's massively consuming. I wouldn't what do is your thought? Finally, what is your thought? Like the, the one of the things that people ask me, especially with the, the course and what I do on the pregame shows for RG, like I'm a hundred percent transparent. I'm, I'm showing you exactly how I play. I'm profitable. And this is how I play this. The concepts, it may not be the exact same as other top players, but it's it's close, right? They may have different automation processes. They may have slightly different 
you know, they write something in Python, I'm doing it in Excel, you know, like it's, it's, it's all the same concepts, mm-hmm. just whether or not how efficient you are, how accurate you are, same type of shit. Uh, but like, aren't I giving away the, I'm teaching people how to essentially play as good as I, as, as, as I do is that I'm, I'm reducing the edge of the contests. And to me, just like what I said before, if it wasn't like, I wouldn't get as much enjoyment out of DFS without doing that. I enjoy performing. I enjoy teaching. I know I'm giving up some amount of edge. I've said in the past, 95% of people that listen and watch and read the course and whatever are just not going to do it, right? Or just going to, are you going to execute poorly, not going to commit, mm-hmm. not have the discipline, not learn further. So like, why do I even care? Right. Cause uh, great. So now I get the best of both worlds, right? Mm-hmm. I get, I get money from doing content and they don't listen to it, right? And they listen to it, and then they don't do it. That's the and I still maintain my edge. But for the five percent of people that do take it, there are plenty of people that that you know three years ago, like oh, all the stuff that you were saying on Periscope, I, I finally get it. And now I don't want the, I don't want them in my contests. They're making more money than I am, right? And uh, but I view that as like that's that's the fulfillment factor of it, of like yes, I'm reducing my edge by doing shows like this. Am I reducing it enough that I can't make a living doing it? No. No. But I'm the the the, the amount of edge that I'm giving up is worth me being fulfilled. Me being here's a show. Here's some jokes on Twitter. Here's some what like like to me that's it. It's not it's that like you said before. I'm not like the be all end all the pursuit of edge because if that was the case, I you, we wouldn't even know each other. Mm-hmm. I'd be some random name. No one would ever would have. Oh, what's that Blender HD guy? Oh, who who knows. He's an enigma. He's not even on Twitter. Like, cause we, cause there are plenty of users that are like that, which is, which is fine. They get fulfillment out of that. And we tend to get fulfillment out of, out of bitching and moaning on fucking podcasts. Mm-hmm. So this, I agree with everything you said. It started with, I'll end with this question. You said, I'll end with this question. Is there a question here? Oh, is that a, what did, what do you feel the same way? That, yeah, do you, do you feel that way. if you're giving if you're giving advice on like structured drafting and and game theory like that, that are you concerned that like well now that everyone knows, right? Like how much edge are you gonna have, or is it the same type of thing where you'll write it and ninety five percent of people would still won't do it? Yeah, I mean even if even if everyone uh, everyone who read your or listened to, I guess, listened to the course, uh, everyone did it. And you all met up and played, uh, you know, the the slant with the $9 one, that would account for 0.001% of the contest being 30% better. It would, you're losing like That's still edge, that's still, hey, that's a little edge. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, exactly, nine, but you've also made it up by getting paid to make your content. So if you were just to look at it in the money sense, uh, you make more money by, giving away your edge because you give away 0.01% of it because you just don't reach a million people. You don't reach all 500,000 playing in the play action. I'd probably make and more two, money if I did. If I could if I could sell 500,000 of these, I, yeah. I'll just, I just won't play DFS anymore. I just, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> but even if, even if you, you didn't get paid a single dime, even if I didn't get paid a single dime uh, for giving away my tiny, tiny amount of edge that I give away by teaching people, uh, totally worth it. Uh, like even like five times a year, someone will DM me or something and be like, oh, this article was great. I never really thought of it that way. When someone says I never really thought of it that way, I'm like, 
oh, there's something in it when someone, when you can let someone learn something from you, I'd, I'd pay to have that dopamine rush. Right. That's fulfilling. You just don't want them in yeah. your contest. Yeah, yeah, you know, you, you got to give up the. the you have to give up day. the edge of tomorrow. Yeah, it's worth it. I think. Right, edge of tomorrow. Live, die, repeat. It would. It, edge of tomorrow is so much a better name. Why do they switch it? Uh, I remember that. People were like, too dumb, a- right? Because they're like, "Oh, I don't want to go see Edge of Tomorrow. How about just live, die, repeat?" That's way worse. Though. I, I remember thinking, I was like, "Wow, they came out with a sequel to that movie already." Right. And then I was like, "I saw like Blockbuster." That actually like, oh. is a, that actually is a really good movie. I haven't watched. I've heard it's really good. That's why it just dumbs it down if it's live, die, repeat. <laughs> uh, okay. So can we call the episode Edge of Tomorrow? I just tried to fit that in somewhere. Edge of Tomorrow. Previously perfect. on uh, the Overlay Challenge. So uh, Kyle tweets here on Twitter. And uh, all of your stuff now, you're exclusive. It, it says on your profile, you're exclusive to NBC Sports Edge. That is that is correct. Exclusive. If you like, this is the worst uh, possible uh, podcast for me to shill my content because uh, you know we talk about how little content ends up mattering, but uh, we also talk about how most of the listeners probably still don't do it. So maybe they maybe I can still reel them in. Uh, go to NBC's uh, Sports Edge. You can find all the content I've been putting out. Uh, if you want to buy our draft kit, it's got really good best ball stuff. And if you want to best ball improve your best ball edge, at least I, I think that would be. Why, why you would buy the draft kit if you were listening to this podcast. Uh, Kyle 10, I think it's $10 off. I have no clue if that actually helps me. Do I see the $10 back? I don't actually know. They didn't explain it to me. But hey, one of you do it and then tell me. Do you do content every day for Sports Edge? It seems like, do you do, you do the like the news blurbs? Oh yeah, I'm, yeah. Oh, so that's, but, I mean, why you're, that's why you have to be on the lookout for something yeah, going for, on. Okay, now I get, now because I'm like, like, what the hell is going on? But something could happen. Some tweet could happen, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Something, uh, and you have to write the little, like, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have to write the blah, blah, blahs. You have to write the blah. Is that what, but you do other stuff than write the blah, blah, blahs. Yeah, I, I'm on the Edge podcast, like, once or twice a week, and articles, like, once or twice a week as well, so. Okay, so you do a bunch of stuff, as well as the blah, blah, blahs. Yeah, yeah. The, the blah, blah, blahs aren't that uh, incredible amount of my time. They're not, but the they're blah, not, blah, blahs are useful. Oh, they're useful. I don't mind. Actually, like I consider I those so. to be actually useful because it's like some news happens and I need to know, like, mm-hmm. how does that affect any? Like, oh, this guy is, is out of training, is uh, out of practice. Yeah. It, this guy may be seen in three wide receiver sets and blah, blah. I'm like, oh, okay. okay oh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of the point of them. They're good. They're snappy. They're quick. It would be it would be the thing you would say while you were changing their projection. Like if right. you were saying, like, yeah, exactly. This so. is the reason why the projection moves. That's the reason. Yeah, this is the reason why the projection Can, is correct. In the future. Can you call them the blah, blah, blahs? I'll, I'll give... I'll, I'll what give do you, you normally call them? Just like whether it's just player players, updates? Players, yeah. Players, yeah. Can you just call them the blah, blah, blahs? I'm going to say I'm gonna say that enough times that you at least think in your head when something happens. I got to update the blah, blah, blahs. <laughs> I, I will call it at least at some point in my life. I will, if not on purpose, at least by accident. Like, ah, I got the blah, blah, blahs. Get the blah, blah, blahs. There you go. Can we call the episode that? The blah, blah, blahs. No, we, no we're calling the episode the blah, blah, blahs because I, 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 like I want it to catch on. That's well, I don't think it will, but that, I think it's better. Than I, so I got every little edge I could get, right? If I put it in the title, maybe, maybe, maybe one percent of the audience say, Oh, that's what those are. Uh, they're not player updates, they're the blah blah blahs. There you go. Okay, Kyle tweets here on Twitter, NBC Sports Edge. Kyle 10 for ten dollars off the draft kit there, and it probably doesn't go to Kyle. Yeah. I uh, don't know if it does, or just send Kyle 10 bucks on PayPal. He'll, he'll, he'll just. Hell just yeah. do that. Don't even buy the draft. Why don't you just ask straight for money? 
Just, I don't provide anything. Just send me money for your PayPal. Someone will do it, right? That's not a bad idea. You know, but you could send me money. Theoryofdfs.com, 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you could pick up right now.